that's probably what's holding me back from doing it because of the fear of rejection. <laughs> and you'll make sure you've got a pen and paper because you're going to want to write some notes. <laughs> Big wide world here and uh, I was in a bubble. I was definitely in a bubble, the Cheshire bubble. Finding happiness is not something that you can find in anyone else but you, is there? What do you think it was for you and where do you think it came from? That has pulled me back to many different memories in my life, you know. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me has been... So I was delighted to have Leanne Brown on the podcast. And she shares so honestly on this podcast stuff you guys would have never heard before. Early childhood, family, future, and of course the Real Housewives of Cheshire. So enjoy listening to this podcast. Well, Leanne, welcome on the podcast. It's so lovely to have you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and we were just talking about yin yoga and yeah. that the fact you're doing it. How are you finding it? I'm absolutely loving it. It is so fascinating. Uh-huh. Uh, just learning more about the body, and, and I can't say this probably, the anatomical yeah. side of it. Yeah, very good. Yeah. <laughs> and you're kind of connecting with your body, yeah. feeding into emotion, spirituality. Yeah. It's very the, cool. The, everything that's connected. I've done Shiatsu massage course as well. Okay. So that's all about the meridian lines in the body and the pressure points. Yes. And yes. then that's then connected to the myofascial lines mm-hmm. with regards to the yin yoga in the positions. Because with the yin, you hold the positions mm-hmm. for two to seven minutes. <clears throat> and um, just that the holding them positions and the release of the myofascia mm-hmm. like creates space and releases trauma that we store in the body and yeah. just I've been an emotional wreck. <laughs> <laughs> so like, an interesting time to do this then. Yeah, well not today. Yeah. I think I've had to not allow myself to like get so like in into it this evening because each after each um teaching mm-hmm. and she does a yin practice for an hour mm-hmm. so that's why we've all experienced like different releases but i think i had to keep switched on like yeah, I of said. Course. if you'd had I me mean, yesterday it, yeah. i'd have been literally like it's interesting <laughs> because i think you're connecting with your emotions what's yeah. gone on your experiences to your body and really all of us are disconnected um to a degree yeah and taking that time for yourself will always lead you to know yourself better and it's always a great investment so it's great that you've done that and I'm looking forward to hearing some of your journey and so um so you know obviously um I've heard of you for some time um I know that um originally I probably knew you from the Real Housewives of Cheshire Mm -hmm. you're on it for six seasons is that right an original cast member yeah that's right tell me how that was um it was interesting part of my life yeah it was um a bit of a di- i know you're very different now yeah but you know how was that being on the show yeah. um it was fun mm-hmm. at first mm-hmm. it was a group of friends i knew most of the girls um embarking on something new and yeah. quite exciting even uh-huh. though there was um few people that were very apprehensive about me doing it that I'm close to in my life um because of the reputation that real housewives had it's a lot of arguing and bitching if you've seen the other ones in in uh, America previously before the Cheshire Mm -hmm. one came out and um yeah so it was it was something that I went into just feeling like I'm just gonna be myself Mm -hmm. you know people are just gonna it's going to be me so how can they twist things the way you know 
if if I don't give them anything sort of mm-hmm. thing. But I learned very quickly that they're very clever at doing that. <laughs> I think on every show, I've, I've interviewed quite a few people on shows and in almost every show, there is a certain degree of what they show in the camera and what they try and put on oh, yeah. is to cause a little bit of stress and drama. Yeah. And then the way they edit things yes. as well. So, yeah. but you, you kind of like, you get to the gist of, we're creating ent- an entertainment show That's inevitably. Right. And sadly, people thrive off that negative, like the negative side mm-hmm. of it, like the arguing and stuff. Yeah. And it makes it spicy and exciting. But, um, and so an element of you sort of, you know, invest in that side of it as mm-hmm. well and think, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to give a little. And whereas in normal life, you wouldn't go around to all of your friends' houses and, and talk about something yeah. that you've had a word with somebody, but you yeah. know, you're creating a TV show. Yeah, so, yeah. but personally for me, um, I struggled towards the end because there was a lot going on that wasn't being told on the show. So, um, I had to call it a day after six because it, it just got too much for me. Um, so yeah, it was a breakdown of a relationship. Anyone that's watched the show will know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Not going too much into it because although um, I'm so grateful that I embarked on the journey of being mm. on the show because it really created such a shift in my life that made me realize the people around me, the ones that were real friends and mm. the ones that weren't. And it made me really stand back and, and pull away mm. from what wasn't right for me. It wasn't serving yeah. me, you know. Yeah, this is really for me to focus on you and your journey mm-hmm. um, rather than any particular dynamic. Yeah. Um, but when you left, it was really interesting because it sounds like like any experience, it's been positive and negative for you. But you said it was affecting me and my family and that's why I left. So it sounded like it was a connection relationship. You just, it put you under stress. Mm, definitely. I remember towards the end of the show, I, always, I talk about actually the, the, the last series that I did and we were in Gibraltar okay. and we were on the boat. Um, it was like a, it's called Sun something. It's a hotel boat that's okay. always in the dock, in the dock on the whatever. Uh, I kind of get the Yeah. Um, and we were, ha- we were filming on, it was like two o'clock in the morning and the cameras were rolling and rolling and, and they just wanted an out. They wanted an exciting end of part. Mm. So it just got to the point where I was like, what are we doing? Like, why are we doing this to ourselves? And somebody was crying and somebody was arguing. And, and you know, when you sort of look, come outside of your body and look into the situation and I visualized myself just getting up and jumping off the side of the boat. (laughs) And that's when I thought, this isn't for me anymore. It's not not fun anymore. You know, it's, it's not, it's not, I need to get out of it like mentally and when I was on the reunion um it was just crazy like end up picking a plastic bottle and throwing it at one of the girls (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, had to be like you seem really zen actually yeah well no this is how it got me and that's I know that's not me so I was I mean I've got a fiery side like who hasn't you know um but it pushed me to that point and I didn't like who I I was becoming or what who it was making me become Mm. um so I was actually being restricted and being taken off set and I, I knew at that point I, I was definitely not coming back. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. the end. 
I think when we're put under stress, I've said this before, you get fight, flight or freeze. Yeah. This and is what I've been learning about the dorsal oh, nerve. Yeah. The, the um, what's the, what's it? The vagal nerve. Vag- yeah. yeah. The sympathetic system. Yeah. yeah. The ventral vagus nerve. That's it. The social engagement system. Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. I mean, so when you have either vagal or sympathetic, it's, it, it's interesting because you go into survival mode. So, I'm very clear when you talk about a situation, you don't want to be throwing a bottle or of course being not. to be restrained, <laughs> but you go into the survival situation of why Rage. is this happening? <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's. Fight. We, Fight. Yeah, we don't yeah. have lions. Well, actually in the UK, I'll say we don't have lions eating us, but which our whole body and emotions are trained off a survival instinct, but our threats now come socially. What say that again? Our threats oh, come yeah. socially yeah. rather than the lion coming around the corner. Yeah. And so we react to these threats like they're real threats. Um, and that's actually normal. We obviously can learn to handle it differently, you know, tread differently, which is I kind of see is on what's happened on your journey. Um, but I did want to start with this because I think it's a really interesting journey um, where, you know, you can acknowledge now, look, hey, this is not what I wanted to be. And I had the courage to step away from that environment, which is we all have to step away from environments that aren't serving us at some times. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like your body doesn't know, like you say, whether it's you can get attacked by a bear yeah. or it's just under stress that, like yeah. you say, isn't life-threatening. Yeah. But yeah, I um, it was the best, best thing I did. And leaving the show, I wanted to do the opposite to the environment I was, I was in. So yes. I got in touch with, Jean Anderson who did my hypnobirth with my third child and then ended up traveling to Kenya and working with a charity for female genital mutilation forced marriage and gender-based violence and Uh that was just like just a complete humbling experience from the life that I'd led um, and also the environment being I mean it's in effect it's a show exploiting wealth in cheshire in affluential place isn't it so it really and people's insecurities (laughs) yeah well yeah that as well yeah (laughs) um massive insecurities yeah but it really um made me see wow this is a big wide world here and uh, i was in a bubble i was definitely in a bubble the cheshire bubble and it made me just look outside that and see a different different way of life and very humbling experience. I'm very so It's a big change. Mm. So you went to Kenya. Mm-hmm. What was the charity called again? Remind me. One Woman at a yeah, Time. Yeah, I've got that here. Yeah, yeah, perfect. So tell me about the charity. So um, Jean, I love her dealer. She's amazing. Um, she did my hypnobirthing, like I said. And the reason why I got in touch with Jean about hypnobirthing is, is because... I just really wanted to tell my story with with that because I'd had two not great births and the experience I had with that was just incredible. So I thought if I can try and empower women in that way and then obviously divine timing and the way things happened, she said, oh, I've just been to... um, Kenya and I've been working with a grassroots charity learning more about FGM and the cultural relation to it and Mm -hmm. what goes on. So having three girls of my own, I was like, wow, like that's incredible. It's barbaric the thing, yeah. that it still goes on in this day and age. And and it is worldwide as well. Yeah. It's not just in Kenya. Um, but she told me a story. We'd go in there and then she met a lady who had six children. Um, she died in childbirth. And she'd two, the two of the girls that were left behind, the father was going to sell to 
marriage and have them cut so mm-hmm. she stopped him doing that and said I'll send I'll pay for the schooling and um uh, when I got back in touch with Jean after because it was a few years before that she'd been there with Lola mm-hmm. for the hypnobirth um she I said well you need to start a charity and mm-hmm. I was about to it was coming to the end of the show so I must have had that like like intuition that yeah. I was moving forward or moving away from the show. I was doing a parachute jump on the last series. So I said, I'm doing it for a different co- a charity called Once Upon a Smile. So I said, you need to start your own charity. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of, we did it together. So I spurred mm-hmm. her on to do it. Yeah. And then I started raising money for uh, the charity. And obviously when I went to Kenya, we found all these other girls that needed sponsoring and then came back and did a couple of charity balls for for the charity and yeah I've been sort of involved with it since then Mm -hmm. it's a big shift yeah how did it feel the shift it felt good Mm -hmm. it felt really good because there's nothing more rewarding um in life than doing something for others is there really that's what makes us the most happy yeah I think you were on that journey isn't it where you were doing something for you and then you do something for others you know I, I read a quote and I want to read it out so You've said in your Instagram, when you realize that the one relationship in your life that needs the most attention, love, kindness, respect, and compassion is the one with yourself, your life will improve dramatically. Talk to me about that. Um, well, self-love, isn't it? Self-love, self-acceptance, and judgment is a massive thing I've struggled with. Mm-hmm. Being on the show, um, the responses that you get from people that don't know anything about you um um that was hard you know at first it it was real hard because um yeah it's it's just not nice to have people making judgment about you is it but I think we're we're our our worst critic for ourselves and we judge ourselves more than anything Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's 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 that finding happiness is not something that you can find in anyone else but you is there and it's not something that you can have continuously and I again openly speak about that materialistic side of life that Mm -hmm. I was so heavily invested in or sort of like encapsulated in that bubble um I was searching for something to fill a hole inside of me that couldn't Mm -hmm. be filled from anything external which no one can really fill themselves up through happiness and joy from anything external really Mm -hmm. that is sustainable anyways Mm -hmm. of course yeah so that was um, yeah of course so I was buying things Mm -hmm. buying everything you know my I always say that my wardrobe was like blooming Narnia you know (laughs) (laughs) you could get lost in there (laughs) but there's always labels on things everywhere so um I've obviously decompressed my my Mm. wardrobe massively um but it was just a need for things that were never going to fill the hole. So that was, um, yeah, sort of coming away from the show, doing the charity work, then just learning more, like reading self-help books and learning more about the mind, the body. Like you said earlier, we we live in our head, don't we? We're not connected to our body and all the experiences that we have in our life affect us Mm -hmm. in many different ways. And we hold that within our body causes mm. stress, dis-ease and mm. um, yeah, just learning about the connection and actually just being able to stop, mm. just stop mm. and breathe. 
it's the simplest thing on the planet and the most overlooked thing yeah. for every single person. It's, it's coming to the moment, isn't it? Yeah. And so many of us are caught up in the past or the future or what we need to do, what we should have done. Yeah. But actually coming to the present and the moment and living in that present moment, as you say, is probably often the answer to a lot of whether it's stress or mm. unease. Um, very something very difficult to do unless you're aware. Yeah. Um, and often we're not aware. And it sounds like for a bit of your life you weren't aware. For a lot when of I, it. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I look at this materialistic, you know, entrapment that is so easy to get into. And often, as you said, it's trying to fill a hole. That hole can be one of a whole host of things. You know, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. You know. Um, feeling insecure about yourself and whether that's physically or mentally or emotionally and um, what do you think it was for you and where do you think it came from um so yeah big big reflection on my journey so far mm-hmm. that has pulled me back to many different memories in my life you know um but I think the biggest thing for me has been rejection yeah um and that's come from my dad my dad left when I was 13 um yeah just he was um well I seen him be physically abusive to my mum on a couple of occasions he he worked away a lot um so he wasn't he wasn't learning again about how we what attachments we have Mm -hmm. you mentioned attachment Mm -hmm. as well didn't you I think I have anxiety attachment Mm -hmm. you know because my my dad was sort of in and out of my life even when I was younger and I was mm. a bit of a daddy's girl I would used to do gymnastics and mm. I, I, I always I had this memory that um when my dad was I'd won like loads of different medals and won the competition and my, my dad and my mum were all in the car and he was singing we are the champions you know the queen song that we yeah, are the champions yeah. and I just remember thinking how amazing my dad was and that mm. memory just sticks in my mind but there's so many other things that then have come to me since then, like the way he spoke to my mom and the way, you know, he, he wasn't there all the time. And, and the way he spoke to us sometimes, you know, and there was, I'm sure there was a lot of moments. There was a lot, a lot of lovely moments in, in my childhood, but um, ultimately I think when he left, he left, didn't to go around the corner, he left to go to the Philippines, could have been working over there, which he still lives in the Philippines now. I've not spoke to him for 16 years oh my goodness. yeah um he's got a new life new woman new uh, wife sorry and a, a son mm-hmm. uh, i have met them um but um they were born when i was 30 um sorry i went there when i was 30 to the philippines mm. and he came back that year and then had a big argument anyways that realization of not you know it's funny because I've actually been playing a lot around with the idea of getting back in touch with him recently. And again, because of the journey that I'm on yeah. and making peace with that, because yeah. I feel like it's probably going to keep coming up unless I deal with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, I think the rejection part is, is, has been the thing that's, that's, you know, what, when I talk about that, when you're saying what it was for me, the relationship, um, yeah, how it affects me. I've lost my lost my no, way now. No, <laughs> no, not at all. I think when we look at what can lead to that hole that we try and fill with many things, yeah, that some are healthy, some unhealthy. Um, I believe some don't, but I believe often, um, quite a degree of it comes from childhood, 
especially if there was childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. 13, you know, you're coming into womanhood. You, your whole safety mechanism is based around your family. And not everyone has had that, but the family archetypal model is a mum and dad and loving and maybe brothers and sisters. Now, for a mum and dad to have a difficult relationship is one thing, but for a dad to leave and leave the country at 13, um, that's a dramatic impact on a 13-year-old. Mm. Um, what happened to you? How did you cope? Um, well, just like like anything, you do. I mean, my mum's amazing. Like My mum's incredible. She had three jobs. She didn't want us, us to give up our home, that the home that we were living in. Mm-hmm. Um, so she worked all the hours godsend um in the daytime at the weekends in a bar so she wasn't home a lot mm. again stems back to probably that avoidant attachment mm. um but we lived in a little village it was a lovely childhood with regards to like the surroundings and everything i had a lot of friends and but um i not really told many people this so i i met a guy i think i was about 15 and was i 15 14, 15, the, the, the ages, you know, I can't remember, but um, I was obsessed with him. Like, I think he was a bit older than me. And I remember him always promising to me to be picking me up and then he'd always let me down and it turned out he had a girlfriend and he said he was going to finish with it. And I just, that again, the rejection. So obviously it pulls you back then, doesn't it? it? Does. And I had these um, paracetamol in my, my drawer and I was... Um, my friend had had an overdose, like she took all these paracetamols and she ended up going to hospital to have her stomach pumped. Her mum and dad had split up and she did it because she wanted them to get back together. And we're like, this was such a weird thing, obviously, because I was young and stupid. Not stupid, but you know, like grasping onto something that would sort of bring him home. Of course. Um, and then sort well, of- Well, you're hoping he'd care. Yeah. And the guy that, that I was sort of seeing, probably tipped me over the edge and and one night at the Monday night youth club mm. I ended up taking the tablets and told somebody straight away because mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't a, it was you just a bit of a cry for mm. help I wanted to I wanted my dad to come home you know um and I had to go to hospital and they gave me horrible medicine and made mm-hmm. me be sick all night and I just remember how awful they made me feel the next day and I, I I've think about this now you know because of the mental health issue with like young people now it's crazy but yeah. the, the the they come around the next day and they talk to you the psychologist yeah. whoever and yeah. saying that wasted them t- the time did they mm. because like it's clear that i didn't want to die when i did it but they felt like that obviously it was just i was time wasting you know um yeah, and it's sort of stuck in my mind a little bit. Mm. Um, it's quite, it's quite shocking, that isn't it? Really, I think my dad didn't come home. By the way, no, no. no. I mm. think for me, I talk about perpetuating childhood trauma a bit, and when your father leaves you and you go into a new relationship, it sounds like this guy was a little bit older. You know, felt good to be with him, but. It probably was a relationship you were likely to get rejected again. You probably knew that. And innately, that will cause a really high degree of chemistry because if you can master that rejection, you don't feel rejected. Mm. And so 
often we can perpetuate our childhood traumas by picking people that would ultimately, if it's rejection, reject us. And when they don't, we feel great. But when they do, it, you know, they were probably the character that was always going to reject. And it sounds like you were doing that. And I'm actually not a big fan of the cry for help saying. And I think it's been used as underplaying what is someone who's maladaptive coping. Mm. You don't know how to cope. So what do you do when you don't have to cope? You don't make good decisions. Mm. That doesn't mean you've wasted anyone's time. Doesn't mean you've done something wrong. Your mind, who you are, is not coping with life. And so you've taken paracetamol. You then told someone. Mm. That doesn't mean you've wasted anyone's time. Doesn't mean it wasn't real. You're not coping. Mm. And I think it's it's a problem really because we don't know how to tell people we're not coping. Mm. Well, that's where addiction stems from, isn't it? Mm. It's a way of coping, mm. isn't it? Inevitably. Yeah. It's probably addictions. Well, Gabo Mate, heard of him, says about addiction, saves people's lives in mm. effect. Mm. Although it's it's not ideal, mm. but it stops them from actually killing themselves, mm. doesn't mm. it? Because it's a way of coping. It's, and this is what I, I kind of say, like addiction is a way of coping. And it's also, it's, it's a cry for connection rather mm. than a cry for help. Really what you want is your dad home. Yeah. And you didn't know how to do it. Yeah. And and part of you in your mind, part I'm not saying all of you, but a small part of you didn't want to go on living without him there. Mm. You know, and that's why probably you took the paracetamol and then you realise well you do want to go on living and there's hope, but there's also, you know, bits that aren't great mm. that, you know, and so Don't not taking anywhere, just sorry to put in fact just mm. thinking about my mum was incredible and we had a really good relationship. Mm-hmm. Um she um I was like that with my mum you know we were like like best mates but um yeah it's funny I would just that need for him to come back it's the anxious attachment yeah you know where you're needing connection you know you're looking for it um and you're very sensitive when it's not there whether it's him or someone else who you try to replace that kind of loss with yeah um so you've you've gone through which is really a very very horrible thing when you're very young at 13 followed up with not really a great relationship um where someone really lied to you so you've gone for someone leaving you to then someone lying to you about probably one of the most important things your relationship with them what then happened then i mean i wasn't seeing that guy that long you know it was it was like a fleeting thing in time so he wasn't like the cause of yeah of course yeah, it was obviously there um then i met a guy and moved to the other side of the country when okay. i was 16 okay. when i think now my girls well hallie's 20 mm-hmm. and she's only just moved to leicester doing at uni lily is 15 god i think well, i put my mum through leaving mm. at 16 um and then he turned out to be abusive mm-hmm. and yeah, just is it because I was a I was witness to that in the home environment that I sort of accepted it, yeah. or that's well I believe I know that's not obviously always the case, mm. but um, I put up with it for eighteen months. Is again when I met this guy, I was like 
had that need I wanted to be whisked off my feet mm. and I remember um it was when I was like raving I used to go raving okay. and uh, yeah and we used to go to the um Rivington service, mm. services okay you know, is that where the rave was yeah well out. after the rave <laughs> there was a big like after rave okay. after party on the services and everyone used to get the bonnets and put the bonnets up with all the speakers okay. and like went on till dawn and you know okay. and uh yeah, a friend of mine that I'd met through the Raven, um, I'd met this guy and, you know, he had this fancy car and he lived in Halifax and I was like, wow, and she was so in love with him and she looked really cool and I was like, I really want to have a boyfriend like that, I want to mm. have that, you know, I want to be whisked off my feet and then I met this guy who was a bit of a Jack the Lad and anyways, turned out he was a car thief. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he had this fancy car and he nicked it. <laughs> wasn't quite what I don't want but ended up moving to the other side of the country with him because he was um having to go to court for all these cars he'd nicked (laughs) and uh, then obviously I was isolated Mm. you wanted to be love bombed didn't you Mm. Mm. um and then very quickly realized that he um he he wasn't very good for me either so Mm -hmm. yeah I was uh in that relationship with no mobiles Mm -hmm. so when I rang my mum I rang her from the the telephone box remember oh, those uh, yeah. <laughs> um and then she would set off on the motorway of course and then she'd stop are you okay because i'd be like come pick me up you know he's hit me and da, da, da. Oh. again what, what i put my mum through it just doesn't even bear thinking about having children of my own now daughters mm. and think oh my god um but yeah then she'd i'd say it's fine he's apologized you can turn around so she never actually got to pick me up in the end, she did the best thing she probably could have ever done for me and said, I can't do this for you. You need to do it on your own because mm-hmm. then I know that you're serious about leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and 18 months later, I finally plucked up the courage to do it. And oh, the power that I felt inside mm-hmm. of myself because when I actually stood up against him, he fell to the floor like, mm-hmm. a, like a child mm-hmm. having a tantrum. It was very fun, quite funny now when mm. I think about it to watch. Um, don't go, don't go. And I, 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 I remember the feeling when I walked out the door. Um, the only thing I was gutted about was I had to leave my dog. <laughs> 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 but um felt it so empowered mm-hmm. that I'd done that. That was sort of a real pivotal moment in my life, like courage, yeah, empowerment, of yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a difficult situation and I think with everything that happened, it is quite easy to ignore red flags. We all talk about red flags and actually there's probably more awareness of red flags now than a few years ago. But it's still very hard to act on red flags, mm. because especially if you've been rejected, you'll want to make a relationship work no matter what. Mm. And you feel a bit lost outside of relationships. Like a lot of people say, I have to be with someone. <laughs> You know, I can't be alone. And those kind of things are really dangerous things because, you know, it kind of goes with what you said previously, like treating yourself with love, treating yourself with kindness and like really putting yourself first. Um, If you were doing that, you'd never just be with someone just for the sake of being with someone. Um, And actually, you don't ignore red flags. Yeah. Um, But it is easy to, and um, I understand why you kind of did it. And it must take an amazing courage to get out of it. Yeah. But it sounds like you had a real anchor in your mother. Yeah, definitely. She's a strength in me, definitely. I've got that to thank for. 
so mm. many things to thank for for my mum. Um, it probably led you to a kind of secure attachment, actually, because, you know, to actually leave that, that's kind of trusting in your mum, trusting in you, and that's kind of more of a secure attachment, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, because where did I go? Back to my mum. Exactly. Obviously, yeah. yeah. And she was there to pick up the pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is normal. Like that's you what would, we do, like yeah. You, you yeah. Would, yeah. <laughs> so just going back to your father for a second, and you talked about, well, do I need to reconnect with him? What would you hope for if you reconnected with him? Um, I don't, I've not, learning the art of non-attachment, intention without attachment, mm. you know, the intention is just to contact him, mm-hmm. to say what I've got to say mm. without the expectation is what I meant to say. Yeah, the I'm expectation of you. a reply even. Yeah, of course. Um, and, that's probably what's holding me back from doing it because of the fear of rejection. Mm. But I don't know. Um, I've talked about it a few different times. Um, and I, I remember writing a letter actually when I was, because I, when my dad moved away, he met somebody and then he was um, writing letters to me. And then they went all a bit skew with and mm-hmm. apparently he'd met somebody who'd nicked his money and, and then he'd gone a bit off the rails and he was like quite depressed. And mm-hmm. and then he just stopped. He stopped writing to me and then I stopped writing to him. And, and so I've written this big long letter about what had happened to me and everything. I didn't think I'd sent it, but when I went mm-hmm. over to see him, he told me I did. Okay. Um, but that was after we'd had a big argument. Me and my brother had a big argument and he, oh, anyways, it's going well we we weren't I'll tell you me and my brother went over there um on the 30th year and um we ha- we ended up arguing over chocolates or something and mm. we started arguing on the floor like fighting physically fighting and my dad just sat there and was like this is what happens when I'm working and I'm in India and I've seen people fight in the street like this and like we're your children we're not just people fighting in the street and then I like we went off and then me and my brother made up and then I was like couldn't get my head round that he would allow us just to do that and I couldn't get my head round that he'd stopped writing to me at the time you know and just sort of left it and his answer was well you didn't write to me and as a parent that hurt you know because I there's no way I would pull back from my um daughters if they we're in a different country yeah. or whatever, you know, I would keep fighting for them. As a parent, I feel like that you just would, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. And he just sort of disconnected from mm-hmm. it all. So He does sound disconnected from it all. Yeah. Um, so it would only be for my own. Um, what would you want to say? Have you heard of the Ho'oponopono? No. Uh, Ho'oponopono is a Hawaiian mantra um, and it's used to heal people. And the mantra is, um, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, I love you. Mm-hmm. And it, it works energetically to um, heal the part of you that you've allowed to be hurt, um, but also send that love back to that person that's done it. Because mm-hmm. we know that things that happen, it's always about what's going on in somebody else's life if somebody's mean to you if somebody's upset you or if somebody's like you know it's about their what they're going through it's ultimately it's not what you've you've done mm. um unless you have done something mm. awful but you know um so i think i would just like to sort of do that 
Tell him. What would you need to say sorry for, though? Um, it, it, it's, it's just the mantra that you... Mm-hmm. I would, would like to say sorry for him. I'll tell you what I'd like to say sorry for him. Because I know he had a pretty shit life. Mm-hmm. Um, his, his, as a child, I know he was beaten. Mm-hmm. And I know he probably put up with a lot as a child, just reflecting mm-hmm. on yes. different... Elements of of, yeah. of our experiences now they affect us, um, and I've been told that he was like his dad was quite abusive, mm-hmm. and that makes then that makes a lot of sense to me. So leads I'm, on to him being yeah, an abuser. Yeah. I'm sorry that he's had to endure the things mm. that he endured is in life to make him react the way he did, mm. and I forgive him. Do and you forgive thank him? Thank you for yeah, of course I do, um, and thank you for bringing me into the world mm. and I love you why do you forgive him why do I forgive him forgive him for leaving forgive him the way he treated my mum but why why because it's only affecting me if I yeah. don't forgive it's affecting me because when you hold any discomfort in the body that um, anything guilt anger frustration pain from our experiences mm. that creates dis-ease doesn't yeah. it so that's only hurting me if i'm holding on to that mm. forgiveness is the most powerful tool you can mm. do mm. and i do this at the retreats you know mm. like um we do a forgiveness meditation where we do cutting the emotional cords um so you think of whoever it is that's like been in your life and you've had an experience with an unfortunate experience that you need to let go mm-hmm. because them emotional cords, just the triggers that then happen in our lives yeah. keep pulling us back. Yeah. So you do it in a visualization energetically thinking like them cords are there, even though we can't mm. see them energetically, they're there. So we cut them in the visualization meditation. It's really powerful. Yeah. I think forgiveness is incredibly powerful. Yeah. And I think people who truly kind of can forgive realize actually this is for me as much as it is for them because it's you know people the common saying is drinking you know poison when you keep out the bitterness there isn't it and so um, I can feel that you have forgiven him actually you know Mm -hmm. just by talking to you um and and I could also feel this was for you as you know really as much as it was for him and I think it'd be powerful for him to you know understand that you've forgiven him because I think no matter what kind of exterior you put up, if you leave your daughter at 13, you won't be feeling great about it. Mm. You know, even if he doesn't want to say. And if, when I think about, you know, that position where you two probably needed a fatherly hand, he probably didn't have it in him. He probably didn't have the ability or the, or the confidence in himself to go, I'm going to be the father now. And I, he probably was as father as he best could. Mm. That's as you're saying, you know, given the hands he was dealt, you know, and some of us fight, you know, you can sense when you're then you probably do go towards the fight. Um, some people freeze. He probably flees, doesn't he? Mm. He probably runs. And I think he ran, he was under stress and he ran. Yeah. Um, but I think it's incredible that you can forgive him. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I, I am... I think it's powerful reaching out to someone, but I also think sometimes it's powerful writing that letter mm. and you don't actually need to send exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I do you that can just a lot burn as well, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe I need to write another letter. Yeah. 
like talking to you now and just thinking oh this means I've probably got to do it but then actually energetically can be just as powerful mm. can't it you know like you, I'm saying to do it serves yeah. you mm. you know really it is for you and if you feel if he's asking for forgiveness and he's wanting to chat that's one thing but sometimes you have something to say but I actually think sometimes the most powerful self-actualization is when you do something and you can do it without the other person seeing and yet you receive it you're not looking to work them out you're not looking for the answers you're not looking for the response you're looking to say what you need to say and it's, then it's done yeah then it's yeah. done because as you say like these cords was a good analogy you hold on to things yeah and they can be like chains pulling us back mm. um so i think that's really really interesting um talk to me about your relationship with your three daughters is that right yeah yeah tell me about your relationship with your three daughters um yeah they're amazing they're so good um I'm so grateful that I've got three girls and you know seeing them growing up and to young ladies now yeah. like Hallie's 20 Lilia's uh, 15 and Lola's 11 lovely yeah so and they are close I mean they have the moments don't get me wrong um but yeah they're all they're all doing really well I've um I'd taken them out of school with all the craziness mm. and spoke openly about this, about them being in different groups and different um, conscious classroom at the one Lola had gone to. But she sort of, she was a lot older than the other kids and then she wanted to um, experience secondary school because she's, do they call it secondary school still, mm. yeah? Um, I think so. Yeah. Maybe wrong. <laughs> um, but so yeah, she, she's uh, ended up going back to school and I'm glad actually she's she's gone back and and again my opinions about the the whole madness that happened but Mm -hmm. the education system you know looking at that in itself it's like prehistoric in Mm -hmm. my opinion there's so many things that need to change in that system and I do feel like there is like if you don't fit into that shape that the education system creates then you are seen as less than or you know you when you think about how they put you in groups and sets and label it and um yeah it's 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 like what's the saying if you if you um judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree it'll Mm. spend his whole life mm. thinking it's stupid yeah. um and uh, like my girls are well Hallie wasn't very academic um but she was very creative she's yeah. a dancer she's now at uni doing dance um and yeah Lilia's Lilia's like she's she always hated school like she she never liked going to school she didn't have like loads of friends and so I'd taken them both out um when like covid came about and everything and um because i didn't want her to wear a mask and she definitely wasn't going to be vaccinated and she like so I, I pulled them out i didn't like the isolation of of her being the person that was one of the only ones that wasn't because i didn't mm. agree with wearing them anyways and um yeah i had murders with the headmaster and mm. like my opinion and my research and everything didn't agree so um yeah so she's do now being tutored at home doing GCSEs because mm-hmm. she's obviously doing GCSEs and so she's doing it online. Um, Lola's gone back and absolutely hates it. <laughs> she likes the social aspect of it, of but you know it's um, yeah, like 
talking about what we're talking about, mindfulness, mm. yoga, these kids could benefit so much from doing a meditation or a yoga is meditation, isn't it? You know, and, and especially working on the, the yin yoga postures, mm. you know, it's not even a real strenuous activity mm. it's a slow and it's controlled but it's releasing things that are being created from their experiences and there's so many kids that just need that time and space like working on stopping and breathing and coping mechanisms that's what it would give them mm. that's we, uh, the education system probably doesn't talk much about coping systems emotional regulation um although i did okay in the academic world I've always felt academia has been um, probably portrayed in a bit of a different way. So I've always been good with memory, good with numbers, um, but I wasn't very good with English. I probably had some mild dyslexia, but no one ever diagnosed me. And I always felt like I was behind. Um, and I used to, and fortunately for me, my memory and um, could cope with it. But you know, I remember in medical school not feeling good enough. But as soon as I got into the real world, where it wasn't this academic grading at the end of each year, I thrived um, because someone wasn't grading me, someone wasn't telling me where I wasn't good enough. Mm. Instead, you get to carve out your own life. Yeah. And so I, I do. I, I kind of see the point regarding schooling, university, where we define academia in many different ways. Um, sorry, in a very um, unilateral way, but really it's many different ways mm. and people thrive in different ways. That's why we see some very successful business people didn't get, you know, A-levels or GCSEs, which, exactly. so uh, academia will be interesting to see how it evolves. I think it has to evolve. Yeah, <clears throat> um, let's hope so. I think it does, I think it does. And and so how is, with everything in mind, talking about relationships, how is your relationship with your girls? Oh, perfect. Is yeah, it? yeah, amazing. So you've got a very close relationship. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Um, I guess you were close to your mum as well, weren't you? Yeah, of course. They think I'm a bit weird. <laughs> Do they? In <laughs> what yeah, way? Well, they've obviously seen a big journey that I've been uh, on. You know, uh, the you know from going from shopping all the time. You know, actually, I've, I always talk about Hallie saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? When she got asked and she said, a shopper like mummy. <laughs> because that's all she'd seen me do. Brilliant. <laughs> um, so I was like, mm, maybe I need to change something about this because um, I've wanted to aspire to be more than a shopper, you know? Mm. <laughs> um, so that, well, then I embarked on doing the children's clothing, Kiss Frogs, and then I got offered the show. So obviously that, and then with the, um, doing the sketching mm. with the kids' clothing, Lily got asked what she wanted to do and she was like a fashion designer. Lovely. And then That's what my eight-year-old eight wants to be. <laughs> really? Um, and then Lola... Um, obviously I've written a self-help journal yes. when I left the show Grace uh -huh. Gratitude Grit and then Lola did a piece at school and she'd written it about you know believe in yourself you can do anything and you know all this like little um, you know like a little journal like journaling positive mm. things and um, and that just really makes you see how much your children take note of what you do but mm. not what you say mm. yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's but i agree what you do is probably the most important most impactful yeah, definitely yeah, whether they say it at the time or not yeah children watch yeah i mean now i have all that like i have a bit especially now because i'm so busy i have that mum girl like i'm not spending enough time with them and i think because they get into that age now where like they are 
that teenager stage. Mm. Lily is sort of coming out of it now. Um, and Hallie didn't really go through it. She went through a phase of like going to a room and staying in there and then coming out. Oh, hello, do you still live here? <laughs> you know, um, but um, yeah, L- Lola is now sort of reaching that. She's 11 now. She's gone to school and she's getting a bit like an attitude and really? a bit of a sass pants and I'm, I'm not ready for that my yeah. eight-year-old i'm oh, not ready well, people, everyone, people see, i know everyone get tells ready. me <laughs> yeah i'm not ready for it at all oh it'll hit you in the face <laughs> like a spade trust me <laughs> that's what everyone says yeah. um but yeah so but they're good kids and they're grounded mm. considering you know the life they've had and mm. even though i'm still screaming at them to pick up the stuff and yeah. tidy the room and you know um but yeah, they are. They they are really good kids, and they get on. How did they react to the split of the marriage? It's been um, it's it's been okay actually. Mm. They've they've handled it really well. But I think because of the way it was done, it wasn't like they seen us like playing happy families, and yeah. then one day we sat them down. and was like this is happening. Yeah. Um, it was sort of a a real slow transition seen that we weren't sleeping in the same room yeah. and stuff like that and you know obviously we had arguments like in front of them sometimes but um it that they sort of they sort of knew without us having the conversation and and until it we did it. do you know yeah. what i mean they obviously picked up on it but um yeah it was it i think they just seen that that natural like separation if mm-hmm. you will it wasn't like an instant thing they just thought oh something's going on here mm. and then obviously I've, I've spoke to them and said like are you okay and mm. um the biggest thing the best thing is that they can see that we're happy mm-hmm. and they see what I'm doing mm. and seeing how it's making me feel and, mm. and seeing my journey as well and also we get on mm. we still get on really well yeah and that's great yeah and that's like the best thing i can show them is that if that does happen in your life you know you can still be friends yeah and that's been a real beautiful thing actually and i'm so grateful he's amazing dad yeah um yeah he's an amazing dad and and it's just been a we've just grown apart Mm. it's actually it's 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 quite it's been a long time and it's still like it's a bit of a grieving process you sort Mm. of go through which i'm still sort of going through it's only been um march i moved out so yeah it's um so it's not long no but again like i'm saying it, it was a progression it wasn't like of course yeah I so understand. so um yeah still a big change it's a massive change yeah and still coming to terms with it um and i'll i'll always i'll always love him do you mm. know because brought three girls in the world together and and yeah he's um but he's okay and uh, you know it's nice that we can still you know be in each other's company and we Mm. can eat out with the girls and we can go cinema and we can do things you know um i think it does matter i mean i think co-parenting i know you're making it sound a bit easy but i think it's very very difficult and people find it difficult yeah but i think um and i know it's not easy by the way even the way you make it sound i know for you even it's it's probably complex communication and making sure you guys stay friendly. Yeah. Um, well, this is early days. I mean, yeah. we haven't moved on yet. So yeah. I think that'll be the next sort of like, <laughs> okay, this is now different. You know, mm. 
it, it, I know it's it's there's going to be bumps in the road mm-hmm. probably I hope that life, there isn't life, life yeah. has bumps doesn't exactly. it exactly it's how we cope with them yeah yeah and so was that did the did the drifting happen for any particular reason or were you just not getting on communicating yeah it was just the directions of of life really I think um just the things that I when, when I when I well Wes went to Sunderland um and he was there for five years and I was going to move with him and then he was like oh, well I'm going to be coming back all the time and I think that separation um for that amount of time must have had some sort of impact and also I started doing the show then and mm. obviously didn't wasn't keen on me doing the show either I didn't really want to be part of it and I think because I'd embarked on that journey that's sort of like he didn't want to be connected to that part of of what I was doing so them choices I've got to live with like that's mm. probably affected our relationship as well and obviously the fact that I didn't move to Sunderland because if I hadn't moved to Sunderland I wouldn't have got I wouldn't have been on the show no so you know there's we things happen choices. Yeah, but you know I mean they happen and and what what happens is happening for you mm-hmm. not you know not to you and yeah. you've just got to deal with with things as they come along mm. and um yeah, the more I sort of delved into myself, the more I felt disconnected. Um, yeah, he's, he, he's, yeah, I yeah. No, I can see it was a, a journey where it sounds like the Real Housewives of Cheshire for you was a big moment in your life because it really made you look at yourself. Mm. It made you look at your communication. It made you look at your coping. And it made you look... I think you really had to answer the question, what do I want with life? Who do I want to be? And I think that culminated with you leaving. Yeah. And you're on the journey. I think, you know, we're all still on the journey to find ourselves and connect with ourselves. But I think that was a big moment for you where you then left. And it, it looks like from then, you've done a lot of self-care self-help but soul searching yeah you're connecting yourself trying to find yourself you know Mm. I've done that um myself and Mm. it's funny I've gone on lots of journeys um through you know reflecting on trauma reflecting on decisions that I could reflect now and say they were bad but at the time they were the best coping decisions I could have made it's Mm. who who I was at that time made that decision um and it's funny when I, when I when I when I look at all those things, it does help me understand myself. But really, I think I still am in the process of understanding myself. Mm. You know who end? I am. I, I don't <laughs> think it does. I think it, it. You know, all journeys in life probably leads back to yourself, and I think that's being selfish. I think ultimately, I think loads of us don't really know who we are and what we want, and it leads to these kind of journeys where we reflect on things and. You know, I can see you're doing a lot of self-awareness work and that self-awareness work will help you decide who you are in that moment and what decisions you want to make. And Mm. I can see you're on a healing journey and I think it's fantastic. And Mm. I think I can see it's a work in progress. So am I, you know. Um, And it's always a difficult thing to do because a lot of us say we'd have time, Mm. you know, 
uh, oh, I don't want to do it and but it will definitely benefit it always benefits spending time with you and how yeah. you are life's impermeable isn't it mm. it's ever-changing so and we are ever-changing and um I think because of the journey that I've been on and it's like that need to I wanted to change him as well mm. you know and that realization of I can't change somebody who's not willing to mm. change. Yeah. <laughs> they have to do it for themselves. Mm. He's not my masterpiece. Yeah, He's his course. own masterpiece. That's so right. I can only change me. And if that doesn't um, bring us, if that takes us further apart, then mm. that's the way that life has taken us, you mm. know, not being, um, I'm still very grateful for the, for the life that we've had together. Mm. And it's not been without its ups and downs. Obviously, it's been turbulent, like many times. But you know, it, it's it's just part of the journey, isn't it? Mm. And the the learning. Mm -hmm. Um, I heard this analogy once, and it talked about relationship. And you talk about changing people. And I think um, imagine three cushions. So I'll put three pieces of paper out here. So um, you know, this is person A. This is person B. And this is the relationship, the cushion in the middle, and you're the you know, person A standing on this cushion, person B standing on this cushion, and there's the relationship cushion. You both step on to the relationship cushion, and that's where you join, that's where you coalesce and you decide shared values, decide shared ambitions. But often what can happen is person A can force person A and B to step on person B's cushion, who is who they are, who they want to be. Or vice versa, person B can force person A on that cushion. And when someone steps on someone else's cushion, which is their identity, and tries to change that, it only leads to disaster. Mm. But in a way, we all do it in mm. relationships. We're all looking. And I think the most healthy space for any relationship is being on that middle cushion where you're talking about the relationship, shared goals, rather than the person. Yeah. And I think that's a real skill, actually. Um to actually being focused on the relationship in a non-personal way mm. is probably the best thing because challenging someone's identity and integrity is always a challenge, but we all do it, if I'm mm. honest. And and so it just remind me of that, you know, because that can happen in any relationship, um, but the biggest success is staying in that middle bit, which is focused on the relationship, yeah. which is always tough. That's interesting, yeah. I think football, obviously, you're sort of caught up in that whirlwind and sort of, they're the person that's like doing the the the, the football and mm. in the limelight and then obviously traveling and you know you're at home and um yeah it's um sort of being pulled along in life really and mm. that obviously that's why i wanted to do something for me mm. um yeah other than which is fine yeah just be a shopper <laughs> <laughs> You wanted to do something? Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that yeah. with Housewives of Cheshire. I know you may have got some judgment and things like that, but it sounded like that was part of... I don't think you'd be where you are unless you did it. No. Well, it absolutely was part of not. Yourself, it was part of your journey to find yourself. Yeah, of course. I think you had to do it, you know. And you left. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like the relationship, you know, although it was fleeting, you had to do it mm. after your father because you were trying to find cope you know just part of life yeah you know i don't think it's a bad decision I, I i'm not sure i believe in really unless you're something really abusive or legal decisions are decisions mm. and 
as long as you keep awareness, they lead to you discovering yourself better. Absolutely. You didn't want to be the person at home. You wanted to be seen. You wanted to be heard. Yeah. You wanted to be found. I get it. Yeah. I did. Hmm. I did. So tell me, so you're doing, you've, you're doing quite a few things. You did your retreats. Mm -hmm. What's next for you? What other than the retreats you mean? Mm -hmm. Well, um, it could be the retreats. Explain it yeah, to well me. The, yeah, the retreats are yeah. like our baby, mine yeah. and Sophie's, yeah. you know. Of, uh, Talk to me about it. So, what is it? So it started with Jessica Cunningham. Mm -hmm. So Jess on my podcast and um, I was like, I really want to do retreats. You know, I'd done my journal. I was doing meditation online and um, just really wanted to... Um, I'd done, I'd done meditation in person as well. I'd, I'd been on a couple of different retreats and like, I really want to do this. It's like, I really want to help people, you know, get that connection. And, yeah. um, oh gosh, I've learned so much in the last year. It's just crazy. So Jess was like, why don't we do a retreat together? Mm -hmm. So then we did, um, she, I went on her belief coding. So she's created the belief coding, <clears throat> which is, I don't know if you know much about that. It's a modality that she's created through different therapies that she's learned. Um, and it's about, um, um, what's the word? Recoding your beliefs, like okay. your limiting yeah. beliefs, like figuring out what it is, going back into your childhood, um and creating a healthy healthy memory um it's it's amazing so she um we did a retreat the divine feminine last november okay lovely. Uh, the lady uh, the girl the lady girl and friend mm. uh, sophie that came on and did the the chefing for us um she's Sophie is who I'm doing the retreats with now okay. so obviously Jess doing the belief coding she's got five kids and we were doing the retreats like every other month and she was like I can't do this I've got where was it uh, so we did them different places okay. in around the UK we were just oh, like hiring different places uh -huh. um and so we did like three of them um was it three or four um three retreats with Jess and then she said like I can't keep going away for four days at a time you know mm. so myself and Sophie decided to come together and we did a couple of day retreats and then we did one in Portugal in August oh, and okay. now we've took on a residency in Arnside um, which is we're like renting and mm -hmm. um, we're actually putting it on Airbnb to rent as a as a a stay or it's overlooking the bay in Arnside it's beautiful Lovely. the location only sleep six but it's um so it's a very intimate group we've got one this weekend actually oh. we had our first men's one a couple of weeks ago okay. which went really well um but yeah just loving it Sophie is um does the food she's very knowledgeable on food because mm. of her journey um, she had a pancreatic tumor removed oh, wow. um which was 15 centimeters she was healthy like five years ago she's 30 now um and she had just one day she was doubled over in pain and then she ended up getting rushed in and having this tumor removed and then because of her partner really researched like what she should be eating and all the rest of it she didn't have any chemo or anything like that mm. she just um changed her diet completely mm -hmm. but 12 months later she um had secondary liver cancer mm -hmm. and they were gonna cut part of her liver out mm -hmm. and then she 10 days she just completely fasted with alkalized juices mm -hmm. when she went back 10 days later it had gone oh, wow. um but they're saying an anatomical anatomy side of mm -hmm. it they didn't they didn't want to know why mm -hmm. how 
she'd done it mm. it just blows my mind you know mm. the one this is what in, in the medical profession mm. it's like one of somebody's a specialist in that somebody's mm. especially in that but nobody actually communicates do mm. they that's why the holistic side of things is so important isn't it yes. so she um she's very knowledgeable on food and um so she does that side of it and um yeah i, I do the meditation and the yoga and we have people come in doing the breath work and sound and we go cold water swimming and yeah. we had a samba class we've got one of those this weekend as well Perfect. um but yeah it's we do it sounds like you really i think you invest in it and you you've gone on and you're still on your healing journey and you're keen to take people with you which i think is fantastic yeah i'm loving it um so yeah we're we're planning to do these like once a month once a month uh for the weekend now and then um looking at thailand in next year as well and yeah wherever it takes us the aim the the goal is to have eat pray self-love retreats Mm -hmm. all around the world venues of and uh, that we can hire out to different people yeah, who want course. to do their own retreat. So that's the goal. Watch this space. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you taking your time out straight from your yoga, yeah. you know, and I'm actually, to I must say, I'm going to Dubai um, on next Wednesday uh-huh. for three weeks. Okay. Believe it or not, to host the Van Zone in football. <laughs> <laughs> Very, a it bit different. Hilarious. A bit yeah. different. Yeah, no, that'll be um, fun though. Yeah, it will be fun. <laughs> um the place where i'm doing it is like in a big venue called phileas fogs in in dubai okay uh and there's some crazy like football fans there it's yeah. like stepping back into football that world, world. Yeah. yeah but um yeah it will be a lot of fun you probably so, never really left actually so. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but it, it it will be the world cup's great isn't it, it is. you know to um bring people together yeah. and enjoy yeah and yeah. it does it does look like a lot of fun. i miss the kids because they're not coming with me but oh they're not no because i want to be working so yeah. not every day but surprise if i knew you're going to dubai the kids are good joy you in yeah. dubai <laughs> and have fun there yeah but yeah um but yeah so that's an interesting spin on things yeah, isn't look it at that. but yeah so but thank you so much for taking Sorry. the time. Yeah. And we'll catch up soon, I'm sure. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed listening to Leanne Brown on the podcast. There were so many inspirational things she talked about on what was quite a remarkable healing journey. One thing I noticed is she had a multi-modality healing journey, not just based on one thing, multiple things like yoga, therapy, talking to friends. And one of the things she mentioned was understanding her attachment style. She mentioned she was anxious attachment. So I thought it'd be useful to share with you guys what the attachment styles are and what you can learn from it and how potentially it can help you moving forward. So there are four attachment styles. There's um, anxious attachment, like Leanne mentioned. There's secure attachment. There's dismissive avoidant. And there's disorganized or fearful avoidant attachments. So these four attachments are related a little bit to our childhood experiences and our adult experiences and we get molded by them a little bit. So number one, if we go to secure attachment, secure attachment is when we are healthy in our relationships. We have equal relationships that are on and with each other with good, healthy communication. It comes from a healthy family, of course, and I want to say, don't get caught up on or any of the four attachments. Sometimes with different people, we can display different attachments. They're slightly fluid, but in general, we will lean towards one. So that's secure. If we look at um, the anxious attachment, then we're looking at someone who is clinging to someone potentially. 
really fearful of rejection, quite fearful of abandonment. So what does that mean? How can it express itself? Let's say there are red flags. Let's say there's an unhealthy relationship for you. If you have anxious attachment, you hold to it despite the warning signs, despite the red flags. It's important to know whether that has happened through potentially a caregiver or a parent who wasn't there, didn't give you the love or the attention you needed. And it's led to you seeking that maybe later on in life in a bit of an anxious way, in a way where you're not honoring yourself, your own boundaries, your own self-worth, and you're putting someone else and their needs ahead of yours. So the second one is anxious attachment. With anxious attachment, your high anxiety and your low avoidance. What does it mean? It means that you're going to cling to relationships even when they're potentially unhealthy for you. Red flags may come, warning signs may be there, friends may be saying it's not healthy for you, but maybe you had a key caregiver, a parent who wasn't there for you earlier on. Maybe you are too anxious about keeping the relationship going and fixing it, no matter what's going on. In an anxious attachment, you stay longer than you really should, really for your emotional and physical detriment. So if you are in that anxious attachment, what can you do? You can acknowledge that's where you are and understand red flags. Don't ignore red flags. Don't ignore warning signs. Please do boundaries and please respect yourself at least equally in the relationship, if not prioritize yourself. The third one's avoidant dismissive. It's low anxiety, high avoidance. Now, if you have this, you struggle to be intimate relationships. Okay, you may come across self-sufficient, independent, and actually may be fantastic in your career. But the slight problem is you push people away. You actually probably think everyone's gonna let you down. And this mask, this distance, doesn't help you get intimate relationships. So my advice for you in these situations is try and build safe, secure relationships that when you wanna run, you don't run. You take space and you come back in encouraging that healthy communication and that vulnerability and intimacy that you really want. The final one is fearful avoidant or a disorganized attachment, and that's high anxiety, high avoidance. Now this is quite a perplexing attachment because you both want, you want to be close to someone, but you also want distance and you find relationships confusing, you think they're probably gonna fail, and you find yourself in this exhausted, in a conflict, emotional, overwhelming situation, especially when you find someone you like or could love. The best way to go through this is probably looking for psychological help, trusting your friends, looking to try and equip yourself that when you're getting these two different emotions, you realize this may be from the past, this may be from an uncaring, disorganized relationship with your parents, but you can reorganize it now you can have healthy, structured communications, not being fearful of being abandoned and not getting overly too close or looking for love bombing, which is often the mixture you can find yourself in. So these are the four attachment styles. Which one do you find yourself associating with? It gets interesting because attachment styles can interact with different attachment styles differently, and we'll definitely talk about that in future posts. So I trust you enjoyed Leanne's podcast, and I'll see you back soon.